You know, I have hired a lot of people throughout my career. I've certainly seen my fair share of resumes. Time to time, you meet a special someone and you know right away that he or she will make an immediate impact in your organization. Sometimes you know it while the interview is still taking place. When they leave the office, you just know that the candidate search is over. Today's guest is one of those people. As soon as she sat down in my guest chair, I knew there was something different about her, and she didn't disappoint when she joined my team. And here we are, 10 years later. While our careers have taken various turns, I continued to admire her drive and creativity and knew that she'd make her mark. What I didn't know was that she would go on to create a new business and that this business would eventually sponsor this very podcast you're listening to, which is a wonderful and unexpected twist of fate. She is Lauren Colantoni, and this is Back by Popular Demand. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dennis. It's so great to see your face. It's great to see you too. So we were just talking in the green room. Yes, this podcast has a green room because that's how we like to roll around here, Lauren. We have a green room. I love it. I was I was wondering where the craft services were. <laughs> if we get picked up for season two, maybe I'll put in a nice juice bar. But you were telling me earlier that as you were getting prepared for this podcast, you almost got killed. Lauren, what happened? So I was trying to set up my podcast equipment this morning, 10 hours in advance, like the anal retentive Enneagram one that I am. And I secured my microphone to a shelf that's above my desk. And as I was testing the mic, the weight of it became too much for the shelf. And it all came crashing down onto my body and desk and floor, taking a potted plant down with it. So (laughs) I sat there covered head to toe in a post-avalanche pool of soil. And I snapped a photo for you, which it turns out was a horrible mistake because now we're discussing it oh, on a come podcast. On. You knew once you sent me that picture, <laughs> we were going to totally talk about it. Um, so now I owe you a plant. I'll take that out of my, my uh, production budget that I've got for this podcast. And you know that's fine. Um, Perfect. I love a fern. But you sound good. And uh, that's all that matters. And the the microphone sounds great on your end. So whatever you did, you got it all fixed. Welcome to the episode. I've been looking forward to this. And, you know, I will tell everybody that Lauren's company is the official sponsor of this podcast as well. And I need to be fully transparent about that. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But um, tell everybody like, you know, what you're doing right now, where you live, give us give us the, uh, you know, the basics. Yeah. Um, I live in Columbus, Ohio. It's where I grew up and uh, it's where my husband and I have uh, have, uh, chosen to raise our kids. Um, And it's where the HQ of my company is now. Um, Yeah. So I'm I'm in Columbus. I know it doesn't sound glamorous, but (laughs) here I am. You and I moved on from each other when we worked together, which I'll get into in a second, but you moved to Florida for a while too, right? I did. Yeah. So The reason I left Turner, which is where you were my boss, um, my firstborn came along and I went on maternity leave with every intention of coming back to Turner. And, you know, then life happens and my husband started traveling for work every week. So that complicated our schedule. And um, I just wanted to make sure I had as much time with my son as possible and just had to do the right thing for him. So we moved to Florida to be closer to my parents. So yeah. we met at Turner. So let's go back to Turner. So I started in Turner in 2010. Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta, which is now called Warner Media for everybody keeping score. And when did you start? What year was that? I started I started when you started. I think we started together. You we started were, the same year? 
we started the same year. You did interview me. I remember um, being interviewed by my immediate boss, and then I had an interview with you as well. Um, we definitely we definitely interviewed. I was about to talk about it. So uh-huh. you're one of those. So here's what I'm going to say about you. I remember your interview specifically. And I don't know why, uh, but I just remember you being in my office. And listen, I've interviewed a lot of people through the years. I've done a lot of hiring and I'm too old and it's it's not a good thing. But <laughs> there are certain people you meet when you interview that you just know. And I remember when you were in my office and we were just having a really great conversation. It felt very effortless. It was natural. And I just said to myself, this this woman's lovely. Like she is great. I could see her just making an immediate impact in this team. And I think I, I probably walked you down the hall, either to the elevators or back to the desk, whatever it was. And I just said to myself as I was walking you out that I can't wait to make your day. Like, I can't wait to offer you the job and brighten your day, whatever day, whatever day that was. It probably was a couple of days later or whatever, whatever. But um, and that's a feeling I've always had in my career that I, I love that moment. I love knowing that this is the person I found my person. And I can't wait to make them excited because we all get that job offer. We all know what that phone call is like. And you call your parents or whatever it is or your spouse. And so like, did you feel good when you when you left? Yeah, I felt really great. And by the way, thank you. That is that is very, very nice to hear. Um, true. And I, I felt the exact same way. You know, in in your career, you don't really have that many moments like that. The moments that you're explaining and you know, when, when I worked for Turner, I always felt like with you, there was never, you know, you were, you were several layers above me in the hierarchy. And I never felt like there ever was a hierarchy. It felt comfortable to ideate and and bring something to, to the table, no matter your role or your position or your level. And I don't know if you ever realized it, but you allowed everyone to discover their strengths and find their voice and to me, that's how you cultivate talent. Um, and I was so grateful for that. Um, and and you were always calm and attentive and and you listened and and those qualities are few and far between with So this is the part of the podcast where you tell me what a great boss I was, right? <laughs> yeah. You can tell everybody I, I feel else. Like listening. That's what I'm saying right now. <laughs> yeah, you were wonderful. I remember that day. I remember you starting, and I even remember just telling the, the woman that I think you did report into um, that this was a great hire. And uh, and when you did leave, I think you left what like four years later, whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, I, I was totally bummed to see you go. Like, because there's people that I hate to say this, but there's people in an organization that leave, and there's some that you're like, that, that's okay. You know, we'll, we'll we'll bring in somebody else, maybe not the the biggest team player or the the strongest performer. And then there's other people like yourself that you're like, man, I do not want that person to leave this team, that sucks for us. And you were one of those people. But so I had to just become friends with you and follow you in a social way. <laughs> Thank God for Facebook and Instagram, because we did stay in touch with each other that way, but we certainly weren't going to work together anymore. What have you been up to since you left Turner? So since I left Turner, um, I went to Florida and worked for Chico's White House Black Market and Soma. So I was in retail for a while, which uh, Dennis, I think you can agree with me entertainment is really the place to be when it comes to marketing. Um, that's where you get to bring the new ideas and, and, you know, really think more unconventionally with retail. It's a little more, you know, cut and dry, straightforward. So, um, I worked in retail for a while, um, about two or three years and then had my second baby and made the choice to be home full time and, um, taking on freelance work whenever I could. 
when you were working in retail, was that like from a digital marketing perspective or was it something else entirely? Yeah. So I started on the White House Black Market brand and I was um, a digital media manager. So same thing that I did for Turner. Um, and then I shifted a year later into social media. So that was, must have been a pretty big departure for you because Turner, you were working on all these great brands. We had Adult Swim and CNN and TNT, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you were working in retail. So that must have been a, little, a bit of a, a bit of a pivot for you. It was very different. You know, I think, you know, when you're working in entertainment, your metric of success is viewership, which is kind of tough to measure, right? I mean, there's no like true way to um, to measure that. So, and when you're working in retail, it's all based on numbers. So um, there's a lot of year over year comparisons, um, and just, just a lot of numbers to deal with. And when you work with numbers, you start to drown in numbers and yep. not really focus on the unique part of marketing, if that makes sense. The, the entire entertainment industry is based on numbers right now. So I don't think any of that's going to change. That's true. Well, now with streaming services, you can, I mean, you know exactly what your numbers are. Yep. So I forget the answer to this, but how did you get into this business? Like what, what did you decide to study in school and like what brought you to Turner? If you can remind me. Yeah. So I, um, I went to college of Charleston in South Carolina and didn't really know my freshman year what I wanted to do like most college students. And I took a journalism class and, uh, that sort of solidified my, um, my interest in media in general. So I became a communications major, graduated with a communications degree, and then um, I took an advertising class. And I thought it was just so fun to be able to collaborate with people and come up with these like really crazy fun ideas, you know, at least in college when you're coming up with things that are, <laughs> you know, you don't really have a boss that's breaking you down and telling you not to <laughs> come up with certain ideas. But, um, well, we already established I was a total hard ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Turner was lovely. I, I never felt that way at Turner. It was always such a wonderful place. Um, there were jobs, post Turner that, that for sure broke me down a bit. Um, yeah. And then after college, I got a job with BBDO in Atlanta and, um, just wanted to pursue advertising at first and, um, worked for their PR and advertising team as an intern. And, um, then I shifted from BBDO to a really small, like mom and pop, place called Tailfin Marketing in Atlanta. Yep. And um, I worked on such a range of clients. I worked um, on like really small, um, really small clients all the way up to Hilton Hotels. So it was just a really great learning experience. And having such a small, nimble team really taught me so many things. Um and then after Tailfin is when I interviewed with Turner. And um, and I feel like after that, things changed dramatically. And, and I really found what I was truly interested in doing. When you left Turner, I guess it would be like a year after that, is when I decided to, um, and I was obviously still working there, 
but it's when I decided to make a TV pilot. And I know you know a little bit about this. And we talked about this in a recent episode of, of this podcast. So I'm not going to get into all that again. But um, it was this, this notion of um, I felt like I had unfinished business. Okay. And I had this, and you know me pretty well. I'm a pretty creative guy. And I had this itch. And I felt like at that point in time, this would have been around maybe 2014, 2015. I, you know, was watching a lot of TV shows like everybody else. And it was kind of the golden age of cable. And and every time I watched something, I just kept saying to myself, I could do that. Like I could write one of these. I could write the show if I just got the screenwriting software and, and just made it a priority. And you did something similar and that got my attention. And that's a big reason why I wanted you on this podcast, besides the fact that you're just a lovely human being. But I guess this was a couple of years ago. And I noticed on social media that you were launching a new business venture, The Waffle Company. And it just felt really similar to me. I, I felt like this was your version of the TV pilot that I had. I saw a lot of me and you, and I was like, wow, Lauren's really pivoting and she's going after something new in her career. I was so excited for you. So I want to talk about that. Tell us about the business, the product you created, how it all came about. Yeah. So when I left Turner and then a few years later left um, Chico's and White House, White House Black Market, I felt this tangible value void, which I'm sure most, if not all moms can relate to where you feel like you want to bring value to the world beyond your family, beyond the four walls of your home. Um, I had done a few things over the years to make sure I was staying inspired and fulfilled, like um, the scribist and some freelance writing projects that I did. But I knew I would have to do something to exercise that creative muscle long term. So that's when I started ruminating on the things I was passionate about and how I could make a difference. And that's how I came up with Waffle Company. Um, I started Waffle Company out of a passion for animals, dogs in particular. I wanted to do something helpful, something that would bring relief to a small section of the world beyond the product it itself. I also had two young kids and was looking for something to take me out of my foggy mom brain while I was home caring for them. So instead of having a third child, I uh, gave birth to a business. <laughs> Tell everybody a little bit more about what Waffle Company, what, what the product is, and what's your, I guess, what I would call the, the, the area of distinction between your brand and others in the market. Yeah. So um, Waffle Company is a collection of, I would say, modern and organic dog beds, where for every bed purchased, we donate a bed to a shelter dog in need. Um, so it's it's something that I'm extremely passionate about. Uh, and without that charitable arm to the business, I, I would not have pursued it. It's just, it, it makes me feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. I'm a dog lover as well, as you know, and I'm passionate about dog rescue. My two that I have now that are standing behind me are, are rescues and I've had many rescues before them. When I was thinking about uh, this podcast and you and I were talking about it for a while because you've been a big supporter of it, um, I, you know, I thought about your brand as like the ideal brand to sponsor this podcast because I believe in what you're doing so just so passionately that I'm like, man, I can't think of a better brand to align with than, than a dog bed company that's giving beds to rescue organizations. But did you see a white space in that? Like, how did that how did you think of that? I did. Yeah, that was that was part of my ideation process coming up with this donation concept from the beginning. I I did not want to pursue this at all unless the donation part of it would work. Um, for me, that was the only reason for doing it. 
So, you know, also being a marketer too, I also wanted to be sure no one had ever done it before. So I could leverage that as a marketing tool and utilize it as an incentive for any B2B and partnership discussions I hope to have down the road. So is the is the product available in stores or is it all just via uh, via online right now? It's all online right now. So how did you do that? How did you start it? Like, <laughs> how do you create a bed company? Like, I, I have no idea how to do that. I, I market entertainment shows. Okay. So like, what did you do? Take me from the very beginning of, all right, I know I want to do something charitable. I want to make a modern pet bed, but like take it take it from there. Yeah, so I I researched a lot. I researched several different options for pet products. Do I want to do a bed? Do I want to do collars? Do I want to do bandanas? Do I want to do leashes? I knew I wanted to work in the um dog space in the pet space, um but I didn't quite know what product would make sense in that um get one give one business model. Yep. Um and after researching beds, which coincidentally are probably the easiest thing to make, um, I couldn't believe not only the lack of organic pet beds on the market, but also this sort of cherry pie opportunity for a get one, give one business model. Did you hire any consultants to help you out? Or did you feel like you had a pretty good handle on the space? I felt like I knew enough about the space and I really wanted to focus on making it modern and making it pretty. And I didn't want it to be this this bed that people throw in their closet when guests come over. I wanted it to be more attractive and, and simplistic as well. Um, and so I actually hired a seamstress to build the prototype that I had come up with, which she so graciously did. Um, And I remember carrying it through the snow two winters ago and being so excited that that it was finally done. Yeah. And then from there, I took it to a few different manufacturers um, in New York and New Jersey. And I, uh, I, I, we ran the numbers with them and I asked them, you know, all the questions that you ask a manufacturer and they, um, the manufacturer that I ended up with is in Carlsbad, New Jersey, and they're woman owned and they have a proprietary, um, technology service that allows you to essentially follow the path of your product from, um, conception all the way to the, to the end result, which I thought was really cool. And it's all digital. So, um, yeah, and worked with them and oversaw everything. It's only ever been me. Um, and it's, it's been really a a true learning experience from the beginning until, until now I'm, I'm still learning every single day. Of course. I mean, was the charitable component, like something that everybody got got behind like what was the feedback on that because i mean to me that was the hook is like you can get a pet bed anywhere right and i and owning your bed i will t- i will tell everybody it's 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 really well made it's great quality and i love it my dogs love it but i i feel like your your distinction is that charitable component that's i mean that's it that's that's the entire part of the business and again i i didn't want to pursue this unless i could make that part of it work and unless it, I was first to market. So talk to me about that. So you, somebody buys a bed and another one goes to a charitable you know, organization. Um, how do you research the organizations? Or do you do them locally in Ohio? Or is it nationwide? Like, Tell me a little bit more about how that part gets fulfilled. That's a really good question. I tend to work with shelter partners that I love and that I follow on social media. And I love what their mission statement is. And I love what they're doing. And they're doing things that are different, you know, beyond things that other people are doing. So 
Um, my first partner was uh, an organization called Bunny's Buddies. And they um, they have people in China on their team who are rescuing pets from the streets of China from um, the uh, meat trade. Yeah. And they rescue them and they rehabilitate them in their own facilities and they have doctors on staff and it just, it's so amazing. And then they fly them here to the United States and they, they pair them with their perfect match in terms of a family. And I love companies that are doing something new and different. And I love companies that are doing something that takes so much commitment. I mean, the woman that is running this company, I mean, you know, she shares all day long on social media about all of the, um, the hurdles that she has to jump over, you know, with her, her team in China and, you know, all of the horrific things that she has to see on a day-to-day basis. And, um, and I wanted to make sure that someone like that was rewarded and that, that, um, that those dogs specifically, I mean, who are really hurting are able to have some semblance of comfort. Um, I mean, those are, sounds like those are the worst cases that you, that you hear about. I, I get, I get served those kinds of ads and, and, you know, on Facebook and things like that. So I can, I have a visual of what you must be, what you must have seen based on some of those organizations. It's pretty bad. It's so terrible. And I feel like it's, it's something that not a lot of people know about. Um, so I'm, I'm so grateful to companies like buddies, bunnies, buddies that, that brings that to light and shares that with people. How does that feel? Like, you know, you created this business, right? Which is amazing. And you should be so proud of your accomplishments, because especially if it's been all on you and you've done all the work, but you also have this component where you're giving back and you're, you're helping animals, you know, around the country. Like, yeah. Um, you know, I, I believed so much in the concept of waffle from the beginning that I, I knew it would always be so easy to care about. I knew coming to work every day would be worth it. Yeah. But, um, you know, over the past year, we've been through so much with sales slowing down to having to take our fulfillment back in house to putting a freeze on all marketing efforts, um, to watching my peers' businesses suffer. But even then, even when things were at their lowest point, I always remained optimistic and and thought about the mission of the company. And, um, and that has kept me going from day one. Clearly, the pandemic was the biggest hurdle for you at launch, but were there other obstacles you faced getting this off the ground? Uh, my, I would say that everything was pretty seamless getting things launched. I have learned that I love to build a brand, and I I didn't feel stressed. I just always felt excited and and ready for the 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 newest hurdle. I would say my biggest obstacle has, without a doubt, been the pandemic. Yep. It's been so catastrophic for so many small businesses all over the world, and mine is no exception. Uh, I would say the hardest part is not having any control over it, and the easiest part is not having any control over it. It's it's hard on my pocketbook, but at the end of the day, um, I, I can tell myself that any hurdles I've encountered hasn't necessarily been because of poor cho- poor choices I've made as a business owner. I'm just running a business under the worst possible circumstances. Well, yeah, that gives you peace of mind when you realize that it's not your doing. It's not your fault that this is your sales are down. It's it's not because of something that you overlooked. It's because of something that's beyond your control, which is happening to everybody. But what is it specifically about the pandemic that's hurt you? Is it more about um, your product is considered a luxury item? Is it something yes. that people just can't afford? Okay. So that's... that's yeah. I think, about. you know, not just it being a premium product, but 
it's a premium product that you don't necessarily need because I mean, I would argue that you do need it for, for your pets. It's filled with K-pot cotton. It's great for, you know, older dogs who are, who are struggling to have an active lifestyle. It, it helps uh, their joints and bones and helps them kind of recover from injuries and, and all sorts of things. But um, yeah, I would say that people just aren't really buying those premium products, especially for their pets. They're, they're just trying to get by right now. In a, in a, I guess, pre-pandemic world, walk me through like what your marketing and distribution plan was um, when things were back to normal, you know, and uh, when you, I guess, when you were launching, how are you trying to get the word out? Yeah. So when I was launching, I, um, I had lofty goals at that point, Dennis. <laughs> um so my husband and I put our own money into this business. We took okay. no money from venture capitalists or banks. So budgets were small out of the gate. Um, the, the things I would do with my million dollar Turner budgets, Dennis. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I wish I were able to execute more scalable market, a more scalable marketing plan and expand my product offering in terms of colors and styles. I know that, that that's something that, that people definitely want from us. Yeah. Um, but the pandemic has done, has done some damage to those goals. So right now it's really all about word of mouth. I am spending virtually nothing on marketing, um, and relying just so heavily on my organic social presence and, um, word of mouth and, um, some local word of mouth that's been going on here in Columbus, um, after partnering with, Columbus Humane um, and some other uh, wonderful shelter partners that are that are here with us. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been. I launched November twenty fifth, twenty nineteen, and then three months later, the pandemic hit. Why didn't you get financial help from from an outside party? It's like when I did the pilot, right? Um, I had this exact same conversation with myself. I'm like, how much of my own money do I want to put into this TV pilot? And I ended up putting in a lot of my own money for that. However, I did bring in, I think I want to say maybe five investors, um, not huge, not a huge ask from each of them, but I, I felt like that protected me a little bit and minimized a, a bit of risk. Um, and I, you know, it's hard making a phone call to somebody saying, Hey, I need you to in, in, invest in this pilot and you may never see your money back. Cause that was basically... <laughs> What I had to say to those to those four or five people that I brought in, and they they all said yes, and they all understood that there's a good chance I'm never going to sell this. But with you, um, was it more about control? Was it just like you just wanted to do this on your own, and you didn't want to bring in anybody else? Yeah, I think ultimately it w- it was definitely the control factor. Um, before I launched, I did shop the business around to a few celebrities for potential partnerships in exchange okay. for equity. Um, but I wasn't willing to give up the share of business that they were negotiating for at the time. And I think that's something that I would maybe consider exploring again in some capacity. I like the idea of having uh, a partner um, that is like-minded and loves animals and um, can tell that story on their platform. I mean, do you feel like there's enough runway with you with the with the pandemic that you can recover through it and just kind of ride this thing through and and come out on the other end and you'll you'll be okay? Or do you feel like it, you're at a point because of the pandemic that you need to maybe pivot and and consider some new avenues that you probably wouldn't rather have not have done? That's a really good question. Um, I think it we will be fine either way. Okay. I think that it just excites me to think about 
exploring different avenues. Tell me a little bit about what you've learned about yourself going through this this journey, you know, from from the day that you decided you wanted to do something like this until when you got really serious about it. I I've learned one of two things. <laughs> Either I'm capable of persevering in the midst of a catastrophe or I am way too trusting that things will be okay and I'm and I'm totally naive. <laughs> But I, you know, I, I'm a glass half full kind of person and, um, I, I choose to kind of just look forward and not look back. So, um, yeah, optimism. That's what I've learned about myself is just, I'm an optimistic, uh, positive thinking person. And instead of dwelling, I sort of just, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and get it done. Have you had moments this past year? I hope you don't mind me asking, but like, well, you turn to your husband and you're like, God damn it. Like I, <laughs> what, what, what are we, what are we going to do? Like I, this, this may not I mean, this may not last because of this damn virus. I mean, have, did you ever get to that point? And you can, you know, sugarcoat it. Yeah. Oh no, I won't sugarcoat it. I, th- yeah, I've had plenty of those moments. I would say that those moments are, are regular those those what are we going to do moments i mean i don't think you're you're a good business owner if you're not constantly asking yourself those questions but um i i don't know i just i think what really keeps me going is the promise that i've made to these shelter animals and knowing that um that what i'm doing is important and i i should not overlook that so where do you see this, the business in like the next three to five years? Let's play this out. So that if, let's see that the vaccine is now being distributed. It's going to take a while. Hopefully by the end of the year, things are getting a little bit back to normal in this country and around the world. But, um, you know, you'll, you'll still be around. The company's still going to be around. So like, where do you see it in three years? Like, where do you want to take it? Uh, I, if the, if, and when the pandemic dies down, um, I see myself traveling and growing my partnerships and it's expanding to new markets and getting the word out there in a much bigger way. Um, yeah, I, I hope in five years that I'm continuing to give and bring value to those around me, however I can. And, um, and I, I won't stop until, until I feel like I have fulfilled that need. Do you see an opportunity to like branch into different products for, for pets beyond just the beds? You know, a lot of people ask me that. They're like, you know, you should offer collars and you should offer all these different different pet products. And my response is always that I, I really just want to do this one thing right. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to expand my offering in terms of sizes and colors and patterns. And um and I really my goal was to to, to build out this bed brand and make it, you know, the one place that people think of and are proud to, to shop for their pets. And when it comes to, to beds and that one for one model wouldn't work with any other products. How much of a dialogue do you have with your consumers? Like what's the feedback you get from people that are buying the product and are, are they, they love it? Are they, are they, speaking more about the the donation aspect of things, but like what's your conversation with consumers, which is obviously a, a very critical thing for any business to have today. Yeah. I think what draws people in is the charitable aspect. I think people really, really, I mean, these are people who are so committed to their pets and who are so committed to the adopt, don't shop movement and, um, and to shelter animals. And so I think that sort of draws people in. And then once they buy the bed, 
and they um, can touch and feel the bed and, and they recognize the quality and, and the materials used, then I think people are hooked and, and that's all you can ask for. I think that was one of my concerns going in. I was like, gosh, I hope that people really love the product. Um, and it seems that seems to be the case. Are you tracking sales through like word of mouth or I mean, is that something you can even do? But like, is that a big part of it just in terms of getting the word out? Yeah, a lot of my sales come from um, people who are local here in Columbus. Um, They are people who are familiar to me. um, And I have, you know, loyal friends and family who are who have been wonderful and so supportive. Um, But but other than that, the majority of my sales come from Brooklyn and like San Fran, L.A., um, so it's, it's cool to know that people who are, you know, hip and tastemakers are like, think that my product is cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So I have like a hip yeah. tastemaker brand as when you I, do. My this podcast. You do. I, knew, I knew that was the reason. Um, <laughs> How do your um, dogs like it? My dogs love it. Honestly, they, they are always on it. One of them, they take turns. So I, I only have one. <laughs> we got to get you another one. I should, I probably should get a second one, but they, they take turns. Like one will be on it during the day and they will nap and then. I'll be watching TV at night and then all of a sudden the other one's on it for a while. But I would say that it's pretty equitable in terms of the amount of time they both spend on it. But I would say there's never a day that one of them is not on the bed at some point. Like they are on it all the time and they sleep on my bed at night. So otherwise I would have them sleep on theirs. But, you know, I'm one of those people where my, yeah. my dog sleeps with no, me. No, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. People are like, do you have just... 10 waffles all over your house. And I'm like, no, my dog actually sleeps in my bed with me at night, <laughs> but he loves to use them as a pillow. I mean, he's like a human on these things. He just, he loves them so much. Um, and, and I do have several, I have one in pretty much every room. <laughs> if you had to go back and do something differently, and I realize you only launched this business not that long ago, but like, is based on what you've learned and take the pandemic and I guess set that aside for a minute because there's, you couldn't have prepared that. You couldn't have seen that coming. But like, is there something that you wish you would have done differently at the beginning? I don't know that I had the means to do anything differently in the beginning. Um, you know, like I said, my husband and I were, were all in. We, we put um, our own money into the business and, and we really believed in it. And I don't, I've never had the, the feeling of, is this the right move? Am I making the right choice? Um, so, you know, that's probably a product of it being only me and not having anyone else to really check me. But um, I don't I don't know that I could have done anything differently. As I said earlier, I see a lot of me and you, I guess, or vice versa. I think we both tend to be perfectionists. And I'm asking myself those same questions about this podcast. There was a lot I needed to learn. I knew I had reached a point that I needed to create something again. I guess it was like the TV pilot 2.0. I just had that itch. And I knew next to nothing about making a podcast. But like you said earlier, you do your research and you get started. But it's a process. It's about refinement. I'm hoping your story inspires others. Should other people have that big idea, I guess their own waffle company, if you will, what advice would you give them before they get started? What do they need to look out for? I don't know about what to look out for. But I would say if you have an idea that you truly believe in, pursue it. Um, but make sure you do your research, make sure that it's not just a Google search and, um, you know, make sure that you enlist some, some consultants and, and people who know what they're talking about in this space. Um, you know, don't just dive all in without, um, without your life raft, but, um, you know, do your research and, and pursue it. You know, one of my favorite things about, 
this business is that I don't think I could have done this 10 years ago. Why is that? Because I think with technology and social media and the internet, the world is sort of at our fingertips. You can pursue something now that you could not have pursued 10 years ago. And, um, and I love that. And I think we're, as a result of that, we're seeing so many scrappy, nimble, unique, fun um, businesses that we would not have seen a decade ago. And I think that's so cool. And do you think the social element of our our marketplace today is also shining a larger light on the donation aspect? Because I feel like, you know, you know, dog rescue has always been a thing, but I, I would even say, you know, even just over the last 10 years, and maybe that's because I started noticing it more, that um, social media really helped shine a light on a lot of these organizations that are committed themselves to that. Yeah. And it's so interesting you say that because I know that millennials and Gen Z, their brands that they purchase are their identities. And they want to make sure that the brands that they align themselves with and that they buy into and that they promote on their social channels, because you know, you know, they all do, um, that they want to feel like they are doing good and bringing value. Um, it's always been something that I've been adamant about. And, um, and I know that that that's something that the generations to come are going to continue to care about. I have a two part question. Okay. One, there's a lot that goes into a name. Now, I had a fairly big list of possible names for this podcast, Lauren, as you can imagine. But I love your name. I love the Waffle Company. So how did it come about? And were there many name considerations for you? There were not many name considerations. I, um, When I first came up with the idea, I wanted the experience on the website to be, how do you like your waffle? And someone could choose the size, the style, the color, all of those things. And essentially, they build their own waffle. We are not there yet. I would love to get to that point, but we've sort of peppered in some of that language into our into our um, vernacular. Um, so that's how it came about. And I, I honestly just love a cute, quippy name for a pet bed company and not taking it itself too seriously. And I like a one word. Got it. So waffle yeah. just kind of happened fairly early on in the process. Yeah. That's and they're awesome. shaped like waffles. I mean, I've had this argument with so many different people. Is a waffle a circle or is it a square? I think it's a square. A lot of other people think it's a, it's a circle. So, um, you know, that's a fun little no, debate. It's totally, it's totally a square. Thank I, I you. Think a, I think it's that's a square what... as well. I had to think about that for a second. Of course it's a square. It's a square, guys. Wow, you just blew my mind. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to think about that. Friend. And I do like egos, but I do I do view waffles as square. Um, all right. Secondly, so I want to talk about your logo for a minute. Now, I just went through this myself again w- with this podcast, but I would say one thing I could tell about following you and we're friends on Instagram, and I also follow the Waffle Company, is that you have a very specific design aesthetic. I, I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I think it's <laughs> awesome. I, it's and I think knowing you, you must have loved coming up with the logo. So talk to me about that. I did. I was so specific about the logo, if you can imagine, Dennis. <laughs> I can very much imagine. Um, yeah, I was very specific. I actually found my graphic designer on Instagram. I think I was looking up like hashtag, I don't know, something like graphic designer society or something like that. And I found him. His name's Jim Canelli. He's out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He is so incredibly talented 
I mean, you have one single 10 minute conversation with this guy and he knows exactly what you want the instant you're telling him. Um, we probably went through, we, we went through, I would say like two months of iterations. That's not bad. It's, it's truly not bad, but it's bad for my pocketbook when I'm, you know, a small, tiny little mom and pop shop. Um, yeah. And, and he was wonderful. I mean, we, he so professional, we went through the developmental phase where he researched and he looked into things and he, um, put together like an inspiration board. And, you know, we, we went through all of the levels that you go through to get to, to a perfect finished product. And, um, you know, I was like your standard marketer giving him feedback, like, can you just take a tiny little bit off of the one side and off of the, like, maybe we make the Fs a little tiny bit taller, you know, and I'm sure by the end, he's sick of me, but um, he was wonderful. And we're, you know, still, still Instagram buddies. And uh, yeah, it, it was a great experience. You got it. You have to be happy with that. That is something that it's, that's just too critical. And I know you, yeah. so I know that that must've taken you a while before you got to that. <laughs> yeah, and but I it's also that my favorite. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, it's also my favorite part of the entire thing. I'm so aesthetic, you know, I I'm so affected by my surroundings and the things that I see visually. So, um, going through that process was so much fun. And are you doing all your own social media? I'm assuming it seems like you are based yep. on what I know about you. Got yep. it doing all my own copywriting. And, uh, you know, once I got all of the graphic work from him, um, put together some semblance of an editorial calendar. And and now I just sort of f- fly by the seat of my pants, but, um, it was, it was fun to develop all of that. I was so excited when I came up with the logo for this, when I hired somebody as well, Aaron yeah. Davis. And, uh, when we finally had it, I was like sending it to everybody. I was just like, focus group. I sent it to you, I think. Yeah, you <laughs> did. You did. There were, there were different, do you, are you using all the different color iterations or I'm are using, you? I'm using the gold as my primary. Um, I love that. I use red because tickets are often, they were often red back in the day. So I, I use red here and there just as a kind of an ancillary kind of usage, but for the most part, it's the gold. Yeah. I like the gold classic. Yeah, I'm happy with it. So I have a confession to make. I really wanted to get you as my sponsor, but I was worried about approaching you. Um, as you know about me, dog rescue has kind of had a a profound impact in my life. And I, I have many rescues and this felt like the most perfect partnership. But I also knew that I'd probably have like 25 listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, I'm kidding. Not really. But um, Hey, I guess those like, 25 listeners are wonderful people. I'm, gonna, I'm just, hoping that we're going to get 30 for this episode, but why did you say yes? I'm just curious. Um, are you kidding? I mean, aside from the fact that you've been a, a wonderful mentor and friend, and I respect everything that you do, and I think we are um, creatively very much on the same wavelength and always have been. Um, I, I said yes because I respect you, and I I love what you're doing, and I I trust I trusted your concept from the very beginning. Um, and I loved that you included me in, in all of the sort of pre-production things that you were doing. Well, thank you. I, I really do appreciate that. And I know you're also giving back to our listeners, the 25 listeners that we will have. <laughs> um, you're going to be giving everybody a 20% discount. You want to quickly talk about that? Yeah. I mean, over the last year, it's been a, a tough road in terms of sales. Um, so we've we've played around with our pricing a little bit over the past six months or so. Um, but 
you know, offering people 20% off in a time when they, you know, desperately need it. I mean, not that they need desperately need a premium dog bed right now, but, you know, just giving people that sort of surprise and delight right now, I think is so important. Great. Thank you. So anybody that wants to get their own waffle bed, and I highly recommend you do so, um, when you go to her website, just enter promo code Dennis20 and you'll get 20% off your purchase. And uh, your pups will thank you. Believe me. Um, I'm going to get corny for a moment. And I don't know what's wrong with me because I was sappy in the last episode talking about <laughs> Top Gun and I was talking about wingmen. And now I'm getting corny. So I don't know if it's because I have a milestone birthday coming up, but something's going on. The other day, <laughs> somebody asked me what I am most proud of in my career. And I would say there are two things. One is the reputation and the relationships that you create and maintain in this business. And that is something you yourself can control, which I've always, I've always been a fan of. And I guess treating people with respect and acting with decency, that has always kept me going. And clearly working with good people has always been my greatest joy. And I guess number two would be giving people the opportunity, whether it's giving someone their first job or if it's something more senior, it's always been a privilege for me to hire people and watch them grow, watch them flourish. Even if we only work together for a short while, I still watch them from the sidelines. I notice what they're doing on LinkedIn and I continue to marvel at their achievements. And that's how I feel about you, Lauren. Thank you. Well, I mean it. I caught you fairly early in your career and we only overlapped what, as we said, I think four years, but I knew great things were in store for you. And it's been my pleasure to watch you create this business. And um, however, I am keep I am waiting for my waffle company baseball hat. I'm just saying, so I don't know what's going <laughs> you, on. You you should. I mean, the number of people that ask me for one of those hats. It's so funny. I I probably should start selling them. Honestly, make it a trucker hat. Oh no, trucker hats are out. Right, they're not even popular anymore. I you think. are asking they, the absolute wrong person. Oh, I have. On, I don't this. know. I don't know what's in. We've we've been living indoors for the last year. I think trucker hats had their moment in like the <laughs> mid 2014, 2015. I think that's when they were. They were yes, really I remember that. I specifically remember that period of time. But seriously, um, I wish you all the best with the Waffle Company. I hope things turn for you guys. I hope you know we can all put this pandemic behind us and you can get back to your vision of the company that you had before the pandemic arrived. Um, I think you're one of the greats. I, I thank you for coming on the show and, and really for supporting me. And it's been my pleasure having you on today. Wow, Dennis, thank you so much. And I, I just want to say, I know that you think you have 25 listeners, but you definitely have 26 now because my mom is listening. So, oh, nice. She's probably <laughs> wait, waiting for this episode to publish, right? It's She's exciting. So excited. Yeah. <laughs> you're, are you going to have your husband listen to it first or your mom? That's a really good question. My mom has uh, less things on her plate. She she likes to kind of uh, be super involved in what we're doing in our lives, my brother and I. So I, I would imagine she will listen first, and then the second my my husband is done with his work day, he will he'll fire up his uh, podcast app on his phone and and give me some great feedback. <laughs> Understood, of course. Um, but we'll tap into the media nerd that that lives inside you because I do have an analytics dashboard that I have for this podcast, oh, so we can no. actually look at. Don't even tell me this. You know, downloads per day, downloads per country. Oh God, we, we are in Mexico. We just hit Mexico last week for my last episode. Nice. One person, in Mexico. Really? Yeah. yeah. Do you know who it is? No, no, no. It doesn't tell you. It just says. <laughs> no, I know, but do you know someone in Mexico who could be listening? I do not. Um, we have Australia now. We have Bulgaria. We're in Belgium. 
Wow. My husband, my husband is Bulgarian. He took that, you know, 23 and me blood test oh, sure. or spit test or whatever it was. And he's, yeah. he's got some Bulgarian in him. So I'm yeah. here for that Bulgarian listener, whoever that is. <laughs> we're, we're big in Europe, Lauren. So just, just be, just be ready for that. <laughs> But again, thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's great to see you again. Uh, That's it, folks. Four episodes are in the can. Uh, Thanks for listening, as always. And I will see you next time.